You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. In Israel, there's many, many people in prison. Now, it's interesting, you know as well as I do, Yitzchak, you're a Talmud Chochem. You know that the, um, the Torah doesn't really have imprisonment that often. In fact, it's only really a very much a stopgap measure. The idea of it being a, a direct punishment is, is, is not true, right? Even though we, 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 we put someone away till we discover whether the, the force that he used was indeed deadly for uh, that is one place. Of course, the Torah has, I think, I believe, um, in this week's, but we don't have that. And Israel, of course, has really... Uh, uh, you know, there's one thing I always point out is that Yermiel Navi. He was putting the base of Matara. So mm-hmm. so I I kind of try to say that, you know, even though that's not that's not really what it means there, but Matara also means a a, a, a focus point, a, a goal, uh, you know, and uh, so like that's what I often say in prison mm-hmm. that you know we are this is a base of Matara. This is a place where we have a goal, we have a, an aim. You know, we have a bullseye we're, we're trying to to reach, which is of corrections that the people should come out better than they got in, and the, and it's not just for punishment, but it's for purpose. It's a purposeful, it's a house of purpose. Uh, well, that in, in, is that's beautiful. That's a wonderful use of 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 the prophets in order to really make people see things in a different light. But I think that the main point I'm trying to make is is this is something which that has not been really part of our historic. Uh, life, the ideas of of people being in prison. Now, again, you, I guess maybe the history of imprisonment. I'm sure there's some grand histories, but it definitely was not part of what we know the Torah to describe Jewish life. It could be the various kings of Israel and and Yehuda maybe did institute imprisonment over. In, we're not sure. There, I don't know if there's any archaeological or any sort of hagiographic evidence to indicate that. But yet, as I'm saying, Israel has definitely <laughs> gone in for it uh, very much so. I don't know how many prisons there are in Israel, and I don't know the amount of prisoners versus the general population, but I think it's quite high. And I and, and it really is not because of violent crime. Um, like I said, a lot of it is based on um, the, the, the scoff laws of people who are taking others to prison. And and I don't, I, I'm sure it's a way to help extract the debt by knowing that their loved one is in prison, maybe th- this is a way that the rest of the family can somehow raise the funds uh, to get them out. So that except, be- except, except be, having a relative in prison is a very expensive ordeal. So it's not; it doesn't really work. It's it, 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 it's a, it's a, as it was, you know, in in British colonial times, and and uh, you know, of course, Australia was started as a prison colony, mostly, like you said, for debtors. Uh, it's it's a vicious cycle that just repeats itself, and it, and it's related to that that we have today of uh, recidivism in 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 the prison system. That you know, once once someone's in prison, it, it costs a lot of money to yes to, for the for the run. state. You're right. It's sort of uh, not just for the state, but for the family on the outside. There, you know, with lawyer costs and all kinds of things. In, a, in and, addition, and, to maybe losing a breadwinner. It's, yes, uh, it's it's difficult. Right. That's what I was, you know, that, that's the most obvious one is what you mentioned at the end is, of course, you know, how do you expect them to raise the money when the person who is the most responsible for it uh, is no longer there? So, you know, it, it seems, though, that Israelis are quite used to being They're working in Petersburg. 
I was asked to come and visit the Jewish inmates in a state prison in Gooch, uh, Virginia, when I was the Rub in Richmond. And Goochland is to the west of Richmond, a uh, more rural area, not, not too far away, maybe about a half hour outside the city. And uh, I and they told me, you know, there was a a, a Hasidic Israeli inmate from, from Tzfas, and it was very important that I should come and, and visit him. And uh, he seemed to be quite American and not very Hasidic, and he had a lot of tattoos. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 but this was what the uh, the you know the warden or whoever, and I'm a warden, whoever you know asked me, a volunteer coordinator who asked me to come visit there. Uh, described this man as, and it, it, it didn't. He didn't really strike me as 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 either of those things. But the truth is, I I had a supervisor at, uh, you know, in in my current position, who was uh, Aid, who was born in in Haifa, uh, but also, you know, he, he looked like Aid, but like you heard him speak, he sounded like a regular American. You know, he his parents came over from, you know, his parents were Holocaust survivors and. I guess he came here when he was a young child, so he was here most of his life. So he didn't sound like an Israeli guy, but it happened that, that he was he was Israeli born. So, so you you did so you did encounter that fellow who, 1948, there was quite a uh, a love affair between uh, the Western world and the burgeoning state of Israel, and I think it it continued, you know, it reached its apex. I think in 1967 and. You know, I think there was the the goodwill started to fade, and we've seen, of course, uh, uh, examples of that. But I think in Hollywood, there was a lot of turning to this the the nascent uh, state, and a number of uh, you know a number of of Hollywood a number of ac- Israeli models turned actresses uh, show up in in the films, some of the most prominent films of the fifties and and early and mid sixties. Um, you know, in terms of it was like, oh, we're featuring an Israeli Israeli actresses playing in sometimes Jewish roles. You know, we talk about you know uh, curing tzaras. Um, you know, of course that that is something that occurs in uh, the great biblical epic uh, Ben Hur, and uh, you know the love interest that uh, Judah Ben Hur has there is of course uh, Chaya Hararit, <laughs> Chaya Hararit. She was, and that was like a big news, right? You know, here, of course, the movie all about the greatness of Jesus, you know, but, <laughs> you know, the Ben-Hur himself, of course, is the Jew played by Charlton Heston. And uh, I remember there was quite a bit of pride that this was one of the greatest uh, films and it was one of the most highly celebrated films. And here was the the prime female lead was given uh, to a Jewish actress, Chaya, Chaya Haralit. Um, and I think you know you you find um, you know similar similarly. I think you have other films where uh, you know they, they they were very excited about this. Um, I know that in the um, you know in in the film um, you know uh, one of the films the the first uh, uh, you know the first James Bond or the second James Bond film. Um, you know, the, the, you know, all of these producers, Harry Saltzman, of course, was the main uh, producer of the film, a Jewish fellow. Uh, but uh, somehow Sean Connery and Harry Saltzman got together and they decided to cast 
uh, some of all the actresses in the film, the Bond girls, so to speak, uh, they were all contestants from the Miss Universe pageant of the year before. And they took uh, as one of the runner-ups, I think they, there was five runner-ups. You don't remember these beauty pageants, but I used to watch them when I was a child with my parents, with my mother, not with my father. And I, you know, and there was an Israeli woman who came in a third or fourth. Uh, I think her name was Aliza Gur. And uh, she appeared in a number of films where she was a technically, I guess, one of the Bond girls. She doesn't play an Israeli, though. I think she plays in a she plays a gypsy woman. <laughs> you know, they they were many of these these Israeli girls, although they were Ashkenazis, many of them, they were some they, they were dark. Um, and um, and I think there's, you know, another film where you have an Israeli girl um, who plays a non-Israeli, but clearly a very high budget film is one of Vincent Minnelli's last films, I think it was called Two Weeks in Another Town. Uh, you might've heard of that film. It had, it starred Kirk Douglas, who was the person who actually discovered uh, this Israeli actress. Uh, her name was Dalia Lavi. I don't think, Lavi meaning like 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 the lion, Lamed Bey's Yud Aleph. Um, and uh, it's interesting to me when I think about it, that um, you know, there was like this fascination. Obviously, beautiful women are beautiful women everywhere, but there was this idea: ah, we've got this Israelis, and Israelis were very, very proud that they were making it, you know, sort of in Hollywood. That they're Israeli women. I mean, obviously, this is what you know the Satmarov and anybody who's who who is misoyning over how irreligious the Medina was could say, oh, so this is what the big covet is. Nebuch, all these Jewish girls have to now, you know, go into these movies and, and undress in various ways. So this is, this is, this is making it. But, you know, I, you know, for me, I, I think I, I remember the pride that the state felt, that Israel felt that their, their actresses were making it. Can, can you, you know, you know, can you think of any films on your own that you, uh, that some Israelis are playing some role in? So the the one that I, I a similar type of thing where you have an Israeli woman playing someone uh, just an ethnic role that's not not Israeli and not Jewish would that I can think of offhand was actually even though it's kind of like a B type of a movie but it's really a, one of the better from the late sixties a movie called The Valley of Guanji which was about dinosaurs and cowboys together and so this actress Gila Golan, who I originally thought, you know, being that she's playing someone in the, in Mexico, I thought it was Gila instead of Gila, uh -huh. but, it, you know, like a Gila monster or something, but it was, <laughs> it was it, but then that Golan was the giveaway that, that she was Israeli, and she, she was the lead actress in that movie, the, where, you know, the caveman, the uh, cowboy, not caveman, cowboys, fighting dinosaurs in, in Mexico around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, and it's, yeah. and it's Ray Harry, Ray Harry has into the special effects. So it's really one of the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a higher quality type of a monster or dinosaur movie. It's not, it's not, you know, lizards, you know, dressed up. It's actually, it's actually quite good. And yeah, but, yeah, but I'm her, just looking, her, her you know, acting in it is really, it's really, it's really subpar, you know, because it's well, you know, I don't know, you know, all of these girls that we've mentioned before, so far, they were all Ashkenazim, but they, but they were dark for some reason, and they had this, this aspect of, you know, of a swarthy aspect. Kilo Golan, by the way, just checking on my phone here, uh, actually was born in Krakow, Poland. Um, yeah. The other three that I talked about were all born in Eretz Yisro. Um, uh -huh. uh, Chaya Hararit. And uh, and Aliza Gur 
and Dalia Levi, they were all uh, mamish, you know, sabras. Uh, she actually was born in Krakow, and um, uh, she was saved by a Catholic family uh, that hit her during the war. Oh, I and, didn't know that. Yeah, right, right. And, and actually, after the war, they gave her up, Baruch Hashem, and she went to an orphanage for lost Jewish children. Um, she came to Eretz Yisrael when she was 11. In fact, they sent her to a Frum boarding school. Wow. Um, and um, and again, like all you know, natural beauties, uh, you know, the they they be, they became models, and from there, um, yeah. Uh, she, she was not particularly dark. Yeah, so actually, she, well, she, she was in uh, 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 the first film she was in was um, before the uh, four years before um, the Valley of Guanji. Uh, she was in Ship of Fools, which, of course, is uh, Stanley Kramer's film. Um, you, you know about that film, of course. Right, right, yeah. And um, and in one of my favorite films uh, that I liked when I was growing up and was Our Man Flint, which mm-hmm. was a uh, a, a send up of all the James Bond films. Uh, it starred James Coburn, so she had a little bit of a of a career. Um, Gila Golan. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, Ship of Fools is, uh, um, you know, obviously about going back to Germany. And it's obviously a, uh, you know, it has a, you know, it has a uh, very strong moral case. That's what Stanley Kramer made, very moralistic films. But but again, all of the four Israeli girl women models, no men. The only, when I was thinking about it, the, the first, I think, Israeli actor, really Israeli uh, that uh, really hit the scene was uh, Norman Jewison, not as we know, who's not Jewish. Uh, when Norman Jewison decided to go to Yugoslavia, I believe it was, and film uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and to create what he felt was a more authentic portrayal of shtetl or small, small city life that would really reflect what Anatevka might have looked like. And um, you know, the film has its flaws. And one of the things he decided to do was not to cast a Zero Mostel uh, or other actors who had played the Tevye role uh, in the United States, but to actually cast one of the Tevyas from Eretz Yisrael, a Tevye character who had obviously played the role in Hebrew. And that was Chaim Topol, who came here and decided, I don't know why, maybe he just says, you know, he'll just call himself Topol. And that's who he was, Topol. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, I have to say that although, you know, he didn't seem like a European Jew, his accent was very Israeli. I thought I thought he did a, a, a very admirable job of, you know, seemingly familiarity with what it means to be a Jewish man. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I think it's not a great performance. But I think it has. I think it's still very powerful to me. What do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it's it's like you said. It's not a great performance. I, I mentioned to you. I think while we were discussing earlier, how uh, Julie Andrews had uh, Sammy Davis Jr. on 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 her TV show once, and he played Tevya for a, a brief segment where he's saying, "If I were a rich man," and I think he did a. I think he did a better job than Topol did, and uh, and I'm also partial a little bit to the original 1939 Tevye movie in Yiddish that was filmed in Long Island with 
Maurice Schwartz as as Tevia, and I, I think even though it's not a musical and it's a old Yiddish movie, but I I do think uh, I, I, you know sometimes right, that, sometimes, that... sometimes Fiddler on the Roof uh, you know kind of kind of rubs me the wrong way, I guess. <laughs> yeah, my, put it this way: I think Fiddler on the Roof. You know, I've, I've argued about this with uh, my good friend Eitan Kobri in Mishpocha, who is the, the chief, one of the editors and writers right. from Mishpocha. And we've talked about is Fiddle on the Roof, has it been positive or negative for, for Klal Yisrael? And I think for many, many people, it was their way in. For many, many Jews, it gave them a sense of not being ashamed, embarrassed of their European past. Although, you know, the, the movie does seem to push towards an assimilationist idea. It does um, have uh, clearly a an agenda in terms of um, intermarriage and other things like that. But I think that for many people, for many people who were sort of scared wearing their yarmulke in the street, and I think the fact that Fiddle on the Roof was that for a while the longest running Broadway musical and then when the multi, you know, million dollar film came out, the big film production, um, I think it meant a lot. I remember when my grandfather, Ova Shalom, who um, had spent years in Russia behind Iron Curtain and was, that's uh, a story I will leave for another time, how he was able to finally escape and join us, the rest of his family, his wife and uh, his daughter and his son-in-law and his grandchildren. Um, one of the things I remember very um uh, distinctly is the simcha that he had when we took him, he didn't speak English really and didn't really understand things, but the simcha that he had that he was able to go after living in Soviet Russia to a beautiful, you know, movie theater and to watch, you know, Jews being portrayed from Europe in, in, in a positive way. So, you know, he might not have picked up everything, but I think Fiddler on the Roof, it was a very important milestone in 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 terms of Jews um, coming to terms with their past and being accepted here in the United States. It, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the the intermarriage part because in the original Tevye, the she the, he only had one daughter because it's a low budget movie and she intermarried but then came home at the end and 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 left left the the goy. But I'll tell you one story personally with Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, I went to visit my in-laws one time out in, in Idaho, and it was around the 4th of July. And I guess the week before in Idaho Falls, the local theater group did Fiddler on the Roof. And when they saw me, they asked if I was part of the show. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm the real thing. <laughs> in, in Idaho. <laughs> That would have been great if you would have showed up. You know, you could have, uh, you know, you could have, you, you could have jumped on the on the stage there and maybe really showed them how to. You know, I always felt that the you know, you know Jewison, of course, and and the choreographers involved. You know, nobody. You know, it, it was the the dancing, of course, was um, you know very much uh, stylized and choreographed. But you know, I doubt if if the Hasanis in Europe looked anything really like that. Um, I do want to tell you a, a wonderful little anecdote when we talk about Israel and Fiddler on the Roof. Um, you know, the, the choreographer for Fiddler on the Roof, and really, although, you know, Jewel, Jewel Stein wrote the book, um, was, was Jerome Robbins. Jerome Robbins, who, of course, uh, you might know from um, a number of different uh, 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 Broadway productions, was, of course, the, uh, he and Lenny Bernstein 
another Jewish fellow, two gay Jewish fellows, were behind uh, West Side Story. Right. And uh, West Side Story had actually was taken internationally. And West Side Story was actually, there was an Israeli version of West Side Story as well. Of course, West Side Story, as you know, was supposed to be East Side Story originally. Uh, when Lenny Bernstein and Jerome Robbins originally thought of it uh, in the late 1940s, the idea was that it would be two gangs and one of the gangs would be a Jewish gang. I don't know if you knew that. Um, eventually, though, there was enough issues with anti-Semitism and other things that they decided to shelve that idea in exchange for uh, the idea of the Puerto Ricans versus um, the general, you know, New York Italian slash Irish population that had been there. So anyway, when West Side Story was touring and they were touring over Europe, they went to Israel and um, they stayed in they stayed in Yerushalayim. So Jerome Robbins uh, spent that Friday night right near the Koso, and he went to Davin by the Koso to see what it was like. And as we know, you've been to the Koso on Friday night, you know what it's like, that there's, they break out in dancing there. And uh, there's Israeli soldiers there, there's Hasidim there, uh, you know, people who really believe that Israeli society is very fractured and can't be healed should spend the Shabbos uh, Friday evening uh, by the Koso. And I think they're going to have a very different uh, impression. So anyway, at this, at this, at the Koso, you know, Jerome Robbins started, he was part of the, he saw what was going on and he, he joined the circle and I forgot who it was that was behind them. It's someone else who was involved in the program. And he said, this is what my next show is going to be about. (laughs) So it seemed, you know, Israel in a way is what galvanized in Jerome Robbins mind, the type of show that he wanted to do. So it, I guess it is apropos then that the, uh, I guess if you want to say the, the movie version of a play is sort of like the play's ultimate incarnation, then I guess it's apropos that uh, Chaim Topol uh, should have been the lead. Um, you know, obviously, you know, in, in recent years, um, you have Israelis that we can't even tell are Israelis. For example, Natalie Portman, who... Right who was raised in Israel. And I think, um, I'm not sure, I think she won the Oscar for Black Swan. Um, Again, and there's been other sort of expatriates. But I think today with the globalization of the world, you know, it's hard to know. I guess Gal Gadot, I guess it's, (laughs) is it wrong for me to feel a little bit of pride? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that Wonder Woman again. So yeah, again, I, I didn't really collect Wonder Woman comics when I was growing up, but of course I knew who Wonder Woman was, and I knew how important she was in the DC uh, world. But I guess there is something, you know, you know, this we're going to have these Israeli slash models. But um, I think part of the reason why we don't hear so much about the Israeli men, Israeli actors, is that you know everybody is from everywhere today. And I think that that's sort of as uh, you know, uh, you know, we know that Mel Gibson is Australian. But it doesn't seem right. <laughs> he doesn't play in Australia, right? Um, right. And right. Uh, you know, as well as many, many other actors and actresses, you know, who are uh, you know are, are, are multilingual and are able to do stuff. So I think. Well, that... then you have then you have the, the Israelis who stayed in Israel, but then uh, you know, and and were, or you know, we we know about Uri Zohar, 
you know, that he started yeah. off as an actor. And, uh, right. And we talked about Shirley Rand, about the Israeli films themselves. But I guess yeah. what I was really talking about is like similar to Israelis that are incarcerated here. The Israelis who sort of, you know, who are sort of... Uh, <laughs> Were sort of grabbed. <laughs> yeah, that was a good sound effect there. Grabbed from from Eretz Israel and somehow plopped in here and turned, you know, you know, and made into a star. You know, for some reason there was never any Israeli Louis Jordan or any Israeli Maurice Chevalier or any of these uh, these actors that retain very much uh, their ethnicity in their country. And I think probably a lot of it had to do with the fact that how Jewish. <laughs> How Jewish Hollywood was in the first place. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.